Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the encouragement we have already heard. And we thank you for each one who is here. We ask for your blessing on this class. We ask that you would give us wisdom to make it clear and succinct. And I pray for those who listen that they would be encouraged and empowered. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I am going to just do a little bit of an overview on why, why we, you know, why you want to do succession planting. My dad will get into more of the ins and outs, especially for the summer season, and then I'll touch on the fall and winter again at the end, which is a little bit more confusing and difficult, but we'll try and at least point you in some of the um, right directions. So why succession planting? You can see some succession planting in this picture, at least a couple there, the peas. Because the classic, you can only use so much zucchini and squash in July. I mean, and it just seems like your eyes are always bigger when you go to like, you know, it's like two squash plants, you know, that's nothing. But when it starts producing, you know, you really can't use that much. So you spread your, you spread your uh, produce out through the, through the season. <laughs> My dad found some funny side things there. Zucchini car making, you got to figure out something to do with all your all your stuff and uh, you know you're from the south when you only lock your car during zucchini season <laughs> um, so the other another reason it's um, more efficient more um, yeah your garden space is used more efficiently because you're not putting everything in at once so you don't need as much space you know at least around us it's like um, you know I guess late April, um, beginning of May, people put their garden in and that's like it. Like, oh, I got my garden put in and, you know, they do it all and everything planted all and then it grows until it's either full of weeds or gone or whatever. But, um, you know, with the, with the succession plants, you don't need as much space. You just plant, you know, a little bit, half a row of lettuce and a few squash plants and, and you're, as those are coming out, you're putting more in and so you don't need as much space and you've got the stuff that's growing, the stuff that's in transplants. Um, keeps you eating fresh year round. So this is one of our, um, you know, end of May, beginning of June CSA boxes. And then this is one of our probably end of December or January boxes. Um, it makes the garden more manageable, which is... Um, pretty much the same as the um, efficiency in space because you're not everything's on a smaller scale because you're not putting it all out there at once which makes it just feel uh, much more much more manageable and so now we're going to go into um, the more nitty-gritty and this is this is general guidelines um, and especially 
in the winter, at least our winters, have just been all over the place. Um, so every year is different. You can't, you can't count on every year being the same. But we'll try and give you a good ballpark um, and at least give you some good overview on succession planting and try and simplify it. So, so I just wanted to, to emphasize a couple things that Joshua was talking about. Um, you know, many of you, in fact, I know there was a class, I don't know if it's today or it was yesterday, on canning, right, and preserving. Many of you preserve food, and that's great, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think most people would agree that preserved food is not as healthy as food picked straight from the garden, right? Isn't that, as a general rule, I think that's true. So, you know, when, when you just plant a big summer garden and then you've got all this work of, of canning and preserving, it's, it's a lot of work all at one time. So we do actually very little preserving now. We do applesauce. We can tomatoes because we don't like to buy tomatoes in the wintertime. Um, we do freeze like our berries, strawberries and blueberries, but that's hardly preserving. That's really simple. Um, and, and we do some peaches, but the, literally that's about it. And so the point is, that's all work we don't have to do. And then we're just, we just eat with the seasons. You know, when, when it's summertime, man, we have a lot of tomato sandwiches. <laughs> and corn on the cob, right? And green beans and squash and all those good things. But come fall, we're eating broccoli and kale and, you know, all the root crops and in the wintertime, we've got lots of salads and cooking greens and carrots, amazing carrots. So in many ways, it just seems simpler, right? You just go out every day and say, okay, what's for dinner? What's in the garden? What's right? So that's kind of, in my mind, the biggest beauty of succession planting. So... To try to simplify this, what we are encouraging you to do, and, and just to back up a minute or for a second, Joshua was saying, you know, it's, it's not an exact science. And this is what makes, what makes gardening um, so challenging. And as Elliot Coleman, my, kind of my gardening mentor, says, it's, it's the mountain that you never summit. Can you imagine for somebody who's into conquering how, how challenging that is? Every year you're saying, okay, this is the year we're going to summit the mountain. And you never summit it. No matter how long you live, every year has enough challenge to it. And it's enough different that you don't get it all right. So that can either discourage you or it can just push you on. Man, we're going to do this. Um, and so saying that, you know, with, with all the, the, the weather changes that we have nowadays, 
you know, we can give you these guidelines, but the only way to ensure that you're always going to have something ready to harvest is to do what what I call a, a shotgun approach. You know, you've got to, if, if this is, you know, if like for us, for our winter carrots, we, we did experimenting in the early years and we decided August 24 was the target date for planting our winter carrots. And those stay in the ground all winter. But because every fall is different some are cold like this year this was a really weird year um, you know we had this really cold snap in the fall which really shuts down the growth of the plants and then it warmed up again you know and it's been warm ever since pretty much but um, so you know our carrots didn't size up like they, I mean, they're now slowly sizing up, but they didn't get the size we wanted them to because that cold just shut them down. So you see what I'm saying? It's, it is a little complicated, but anyway, let's just get into it here. So we're going to suggest, because we're trying to simplify this, and, and even on our farm, you know, commercial growing, I have one seeding day a week. Monday is my seeding day. And you know that as Joshua said in the fall that really is not enough because the planting dates bunch up in the fall but we'll, we'll get into that a little more but anyway I think for a home gardener one day a week is good but but you just have to put it on your calendar today I'm gonna seed. And so there's some crops that you do on seven-day intervals. And again, you know, on, on a home scale, you may not even want to grow all these things. But on this chart, can you see this? Okay. Well, again, we will, we will be making copies. But... Um, and, and also, we're going to try to get all these on the AdAgra website. So seven-day interval crops are mainly direct seeded crops. Pretty much, I mean, we, we pretty much direct seed all these. Baby leaf lettuce, baby leaf greens. So that would be all your other baby stuff like arugula. Um, there's lots of Asian kinds of mizuna, tatsoi, um, you know, many greens that you can seed and these you're just growing small so you have to seed them often and these like I say are direct seeded we actually discourage direct seeding because direct seeding will discourage you if you don't have your weeds under control and that's that's what the next session is about so we do very little direct seeding almost everything we do is transplanted with the exception of these. So on this page, just to kind of show you how it's set up, the first column we have the crops and the intervals, then the second column has some planting recommendations. And this is first sowing. It, you know, we give some, some guidelines for first sowing and then sow up to 
So your first sowing in this case is six weeks before the last frost. And then your last sowing would be four weeks before the first frost. Does that make sense? First frost in the fall and last frost in the spring. Does that make sense for us? That's, um, and, and again, these are averages, you know, it can vary a lot, but this is the average last frost in the spring and the average first frost in the fall. For us in Middle Tennessee, average last frost is April 15 and average first frost is October 20. Um, and, and you'll notice, and we, won't, we don't have time to talk in depth about all of these, but you'll notice um, our planting recommendations for most of these, and these are cool weather crops, we don't recommend sowing more than six weeks before the last frost in the spring. And this is outdoors. I, I, I need to also point out, if you have a protected environment, like an unheated heap, hoop house, you can start, you can push these back like at least a month. So rather than six weeks, you could go 10 weeks. So the 1st of February is when we start seeding in earnest. And, but all that stuff is going to go in an in a hoop house, an unheated hoop house. Anything going outside would be the 1st of March, would be when we're seeding it. Does that make sense? The only exception, I think there's one or two exceptions. Spinach, um, you know, in the seed catalogs, they will say, as soon as the soil can be worked. <laughs> That's a famous line, you know, as soon as the soil can be worked. Well, that can vary by months, you know, depending on the year. But the key there is to actually work the soil in the fall and you just have it ready, sitting and ready to go in the spring. And then the third column, I have some notes. And if it's direct seeded, if we direct seed it, it's gonna say so in the third column. Okay, so baby leaf lettuce, baby leaf greens, radishes, spinach, cilantro, are all crops that we would seed every week. So for you, you know, that might be just a foot or two of row. You know, if you're wanting some baby lettuce, just sprinkle a few seeds, just a couple feet probably for a home garden. So this is, you know, you're not having to prepare big spaces or anything. Um, same with radishes, you know, I mean, depending on how much you like radishes, just a short amount. And, and radishes, you know, if you have any experience, you know that in the heat of summer, they get really hot, right? So a lot of people don't even like to, to tr grow radishes through the summer. Spinach, the challenge with spinach, and I point out here, is germination temperatures you um, spinach will not germinate well above 70 to 75 degrees so if you're going to try to push the spinach season you've got to get those seeds germinated somewhere other than outside where it's too hot okay any well maybe we shouldn't 
ask any questions because we won't get through it all. So then we go to, to 14 day intervals. So this is every two weeks. So this would be things like full sized head lettuce. Now again, if, if you notice the picture earlier, there was a picture in our greenhouse with lots of lettuce, little lettuces. See, our lettuces spend half their life in the greenhouse. There, we, we sow them in soil blocks, or now we're actually using a lot of paper pot, but that's, that's not for home gardeners. Um, we sow them in soil blocks, and they grow there for about four weeks, and then we put them out in the garden for another four weeks, and then they're ready to go. But what we like to do, I point out in the notes, is have different varieties. You know, so, so two or three different varieties. Maybe you want a romaine and a, and a, a butterhead. I love the butterheads. That's something that's hard to buy in the store. Um, and those, you know, there's enough variance in the different varieties that that will give you a continuous supply of lettuce. Now, what do you do about lettuce in the summertime? That's a whole different challenge, and it's one we're tackling. There's a guy up in Tennessee who's actually done a lot of experimenting on this, and, and we did have lettuce all summer last year. Um, but again, you, you have to kind of weigh the, the work. You know, for a home gardener, you know, it involves um, covering, once you put it in the garden, you have to immediately cover it with shade cloth and you need some kind of timer for really hot days that the sprinklers will come on. And you can do this, it's not rocket science, you know, for, for 10 minutes or so every couple hours, just to, to get it wet enough that there's gonna be evaporative cooling. And so if you do that during the really hot days, and then after about 10 days, you take the shade cloth off and let the lettuce finish in the, um, without the shade cloth, then it works. But again, you have to choose the right varieties. I can tell you the, the most heat tolerant lettuce variety that I'm aware of at this point is called Muir, M-U-I-R. You can get it from Johnny's and I'm sure from a few other places as well. Um, but any of the summer crisp or Batavian varieties are much more heat resistant than most lettuce varieties. So just a few tips, but again, you may, you may not want to hassle with trying to grow lettuce all summer because it is work. For a market gardener, it's work that's worth it because, Joshua, we, I, I don't know, I had asked for 50 copies, but I think they may have only made 30. What's that? So I'm saying probably just one per family or whatever. Um, we'll see how far they go. If you don't get one, we will have save one copy that we can have up here that people can take pictures of or else we'll put it on the website. 
Okay, so full-size lettuce, full-size Asian greens. Um, so this would be things like, um, well, there's a lot of them. You know, there's a, there's a really good one. Uh, Tokyo Bacana is a really nice, tender, bright green, um, Asian green. And um, there, of course, you can do Tatsoi or Yukina Savoy. All these can be full size as well as baby. Tokyo Bacana, B E K A N A. So those. And, and again, the notes will tell you, but any of the brassicas, once the weather starts warming up, you've got to deal with flea beetles. Does everybody know about flea beetles? They're tiny little black bugs that will just, it looks like the leaves have been shot with a shotgun, all these tiny little holes in the leaves. You know, um, there's, it, it doesn't make the leaves inedible or anything. It makes them hard to sell. You know, people don't want to buy stuff that looks like that. But as far as home eating, we're not afraid to eat it. Um, but anyway, you can keep those off with either flo floating row cover or insect covers. Other 14-day crops, sweet corn bush beans, beets, scallions, turnips, and dill. So what we do with sweet corn is that we, um, we actually have gone to transplanting all our sweet corn. And we don't do acres of sweet corn. You know, we do, we do three, um, 3,000 foot, 3,000 square foot, blocks of sweet corn and each of those three is divided in half so there's eight 100 foot beds in in a, a 3,000 square foot block so we do six plantings of corn and we'll do that every two weeks and it works really well you get a solid stand of sweet corn and to us, it's worth the, the extra effort of transplanting. But again, if you just have one variety of sweet corn and you're wanting sweet corn every day during the summer, <laughs> which you might not want, um, you will probably need to plant two different varieties at the same time, you know, every two weeks, but some of one variety and some of another that has you know different days to maturity and that will fill in that gap is this is this making sense you're not getting glazed over or anything okay so the sweet corn you know a lot of them are like 70 days to maturity but then you can have one that's 77 days so I would plant like a, a 70 day and a 77 day at the same time so that it would be maturing even more often than every two weeks. Now one, one other little tip on sweet corn, and this is a bit more challenging for home gardeners. You know, sweet corn needs pollination and you really need 
kind of a block of sweet corn. You can't just plant five plants and, and expect good pollination unless you're going to hand pollinate. You know, you can kind of break the tassels off and hand pollinate it. Uh, we also transplant our beets. This is something that most, well, actually most market gardeners do transplant beets now, it seems, because for some reason, I don't know if you've experienced this, but beets, you direct seed them and they come up and then they disappear. Have any of you had that experience? You know, we figured something out this year. This was bad. I, we, it really messed us up in the fall. But goldfinches love to eat beet tops, you know, when they're like really little. So we were not even direct seeding them. We were paper potting them. And, you know, you still have to do those when they're pretty small. We were putting them out and they were just disappearing. And we finally figured out the goldfinches were eating our beets. And we, I mean, we really didn't have much of any beets this winter because of that. Planting, it took us too long to figure it out. We couldn't figure out. Yeah. <laughs> Is Sean here? Yeah, one of our, one of our interns had planted sunflower plants right next to where the um, beets were so of course you know it wasn't his fault we didn't we didn't know he's the one that helped us figure out what was going on so the goldfinches were coming and eating the sunflowers you know the seeds once they'd ripen and then it was like oh look what's for dessert <laughs> Okay, what if they disappear under a tunnel? Well, it's not just birds. I mean, it's, it seems to be all kinds of, you know, voles or insects. Or it's also beets. That, that family, beets and Swiss chard, are very, um, very prone to damping off. So they can many times, if, if you're overwatering or any of those kind of things, they will just keel over and so we we like to get a little bigger beet plant that we put out and we'll put two seeds in each block and if you know anything about beets beets may have two or three plants in each seed right so we're shooting for no more than four beets per block so this is kind of a, a different topic here <laughs> We don't want to get too sidetracked, but um, okay, so let's go on to 21-day crops. So some of those would be carrots. So let me just say this, you know, in the second column, it tells you this is the first sowing and the last sowing. You have to determine whether you want to try to keep cool weather crops going through the summer. You know, that's, as I said with the lettuce, there are ways to do it. You know, I feel like beets, we're, we're pushing beets more and more, and it seems like beets can actually do fairly well in the summer as long as you can keep the tops healthy, which is a challenge because they get this Kirkospora leaf spot, which um, 
often does ours end. But beets can handle the warmer weather from our experience. And scallions, we had great, great success with scallions this last summer, going all summer. So those, you know, the alliums are, are cool weather crops, but you can push them. So I guess what I'm trying to say there is just because I'm saying this can be done doesn't mean you're going to have smashing success, especially if you're from Florida. Um, if I, I was telling somebody, if I lived in Florida, I don't know that I'd even, I'd even try to grow in the summertime. I'd just grow spring, fall through spring. And you could grow all kinds of good stuff down here that time of year. Okay, so carrots is one of those, again, we're pushing. I, I think from, from my experience, if you can keep the carrots well hydrated and they have a really loose, loamy soil, they can handle the heat better. And the key is, you know, you got to keep planting them. You don't, you know, they will get old and tough and kind of not taste so good but you keep planting them every three weeks and give them your best soil. It's gotta be deep and loose and keep them moist. And I, I think, uh, you know, we're, cause carrots are a big seller for us. So we wanna keep pushing the limits on that. Melons, again, you know, you just keep planting these. Don't, don't just plant them once. And then there's summer squash and zucchini. Oh, wait, so we're on to monthly ones now here. So not only um, is, is this a way to, to give you a continual supply of summer squash and zucchini, but it's also a way to deal with the myriad of bugs that, that like the cucurbit family. You know, here in the south, we've got the squash bug, and we've got the cucumber beetle, and we've got the squash vine borer. And you're all nodding your heads. You, you're, you've become familiar with those, right? And, and they're all a menace. In my opinion, the cucurbit family is the biggest challenge as far as pests for the south from from my experience because cucumber beetles can be terrible they can because they transmit viruses that can do your plants in so one way to combat that and that's how we do it is just keep replanting and ideally move them around and so you're breaking up you know you want to pull out the old plants before the squash bugs can complete their life cycle you know, because they lay their eggs on the leaves and then they, they hatch out. And so if, if you keep planting and moving them around, you can try to disrupt that life cycle. Okay, this class goes till 1030, right? Okay, we're good, I think. Um... I guess we'll go ahead and, and finish this and then we can have a few questions before Joshua goes on to. So, you know, making these charts, it's a, it's a little bit, um, 
it's a little bit tricky because there's no defined line between spring and summer and fall and winter. They kind of blend into each other. So in addition to these, you know, either weekly or biweekly or monthly plantings, we also do succession planting in the spring and fall. You know, we have broccoli in the spring and in the fall, um, cabbage in the spring and fall, kale and collards, potatoes even. You know, potatoes, we have, we have much better potatoes, I think, for fall than in the spring. And I'll tell you one, one good thing about that. And for us, you know, it means planting potatoes th the last half of July. And then they mature in the fall. And if, if you let the frost kill the vines and leave the potatoes in the ground, this is what they do up north oftentimes, as I understand, the, the skins will harden up, right? And, and so when you go to harvest them, you don't, you don't um, bruise them up and mess up the skin so much. But in the spring, you don't have that luxury. You know, in fact, for us, if we don't get them out of the ground quick, um, they end up rotting. There's, it seems like very often we get, we get a lot of rain in June, right? When the garlic and the potatoes need to be harvested. And that rain can take a good crop and rot it very, very quickly. So anyway, we, you know, you can have really good success with fall potatoes. And the, the only challenge, well, two challenges, I think, that I wrote down there. Um, well, use uncut seed. From our experience, if you plant a cut potato piece in July, it will rot every time. But if you plant a whole potato it doesn't rot no I'm talking about Irish potatoes or white potato whatever you want to call them um, I guess they should be called Peruvian potatoes or something the second thing I wanted to say on potatoes and again this is kind of pushing the limits of our our topic here but um, the challenge is finding seed potatoes in July so you really need to order or get your seed potatoes in the spring and then just keep them in the cooler until July and you know chances are they'll be you know sprouting and stuff but you know it, when they start sprouting you just take the sprouts off you just have to keep taking the sprouts off and then they'll stay much more solid well yeah it's fine to have sprouts when you go to plant them but I'm saying if they're sprouting two or three months before you're wanting to plant them you don't want to let those sprouts go Okay. Okay, and I'll just point this out. Um, you know, we have not had good success. We don't plant much cauliflower, period, because it's a waste of space, in my opinion. It's, it's actually not even 
as healthy for you as you know broccoli and and broccoli at least you get side shoots that you can use if you want cauliflower takes a lot of space in the garden you get one head and that's it I mean it's for market gardeners it's not a money maker even broccoli is not really a money maker but um, we have also never had good success in the spring with getting nice white heads you know um, you get these really these heads that you're embarrassed to take to market you know and and again for a home gardener yeah you can eat them they're they're not bad but they just don't look nice but in the fall you can have beautiful heads of cauliflower amazing heads of cauliflower same with brussels sprouts i mean i would not even ever encourage anybody to grow brussels sprouts in the spring i think it's a waste of your time but fall wow and and the key with brussels sprouts is forget the sprouts just eat the greens everybody says they're the best greens out there brussels sprout greens are amazing so whether they make heads or not just grow them for the greens and celery again we just you know we keep trying but we never have good celery in the spring but boy we've had some beautiful celery in the fall okay and then the other only other crop we have here is is tomatoes because we do succession plant tomatoes how many of you have had the experience you plant your tomatoes in spring and by by middle to end of July they're gone and you know you're still in the middle of summer and you're wanting tomato sandwiches and you can't bring yourself to go to the grocery store and buy them so you're just out of luck so you do a second planting a succession planting of tomatoes I'm suggesting and again this is going to vary on your location but um, mid to end of May end of May is really pushing the envelope but the trick here is you don't even have to do a second planting you can take suckers off your original ones and plant them you want to plant them you got to baby them a little bit you've got to keep them in the shade and keep them well watered for a few days but those suckers will root and you've got your second planting of tomatoes it's a way to save money too if you're buying expensive tomato seeds you know a lot of greenhouse tomatoes are a dollar or more per seed so you can get around it there okay well that's enough on that um, but I just want to point you to the links here well I guess Joshua that so this chart we adapted a fair bit but we got the the bones the, the the framework from Johnny's Johnny's seeds has a lot of information on their website that I would encourage you to look up okay so um, the link the link on here for winter and overwintering growing guide is what we gave out that 
most of you all got. I think the front row here didn't get, but hopefully you'll be able to see and you're going to take pictures. Um, so what I would say, um, the first key for your winter season is you have to think about your winter season when it's not winter. And like the some of the most, probably the most critical month is September, but August through October are your critical months for seeding. Um, and in August, you know, you're not really thinking about winter, but if you don't get stuff in, um, it's not going to be growing. So I think the first thing is, yeah, so this is what you all have. Um, and this is just a basic guide to a lot of different crops and, um, how many weeks before your last 10 hour day. And so also this is a good website and it's also, um, on your, the multiple page pamphlet at the end, it's got this website on, but you can just go on there, type in your locate, you know, your nearest town, city, whatever. And it'll give you obviously your current sunrise sunset, but you can go through the whole year and you can see, you know, your first, 10 hour day your last 10 hour day yesterday in our area yesterday we just went above 10 hours so we're back back to that but um you got to be able to figure out you got to figure out when your last 10 hour day is in the fall and i mean here that doesn't even go below 10 hours so you may be lucky but so it gives just i think it's important to note that the Basically, from Elliot Coleman's research, when plants, when the day length goes below 10 hours, plants pretty much stop growing. So you want to work back from that to make sure they get enough growth before you get to that last 10-hour day. Yeah, so I think that the general consensus that you need your plants at least to three quarters growth before you drop below 10 hours so that's what this is kind of showing you so you know for kale 13 to 15 weeks before your um, last 10 hour day that way you're so it goes through the whole that you know and they most all of them have a few week variants um, and then it's got also overwintering for crops that you would plant in the winter, in the fall, winter, to get early spring. And some of them I'm not like carrots, and I don't know if it's just a mistake or what, but carrots on the planting dates for winter is the same as the planting dates for overwintering. Um, but we plant carrots, um, I mean, Dad just planted some, but it was kind of late. I think last year he did it in like, what, November? second week of November. Those were great early spring. Um, so that, that chart will give you basic, um, basic outline on getting crops. And then once, you know, at least for us, and if you're in somewhat of a colder climate, plants, you know, once it gets below 10 hours, once um, it's getting colder, they don't they're not growing very much. So if you plant like a bunch of lettuce in what in the um, 
time frame that it's saying here, it doesn't, it's not just going to become mature and then bolt, you know, you can, you can be harvesting it a little bit early, you know, let us, it's not like it has to get to a maturity. Obviously if you're selling it, you want it, but, um, and then it can just, it'll just kind of sit there and you can just use it through the winter. I mean, it's good to have some succession and it also is depending on, you know, if you're home gardening or if you're trying to be providing for a CSA or something, but we are trying to focus on the home gardening. So for most of these crops, succession planting is a little bit less necessary, I guess, in the winter because in the, you know, in the summer it's mature and then it's gone. You can't, you can't just leave your lettuce in the ground. Um, Okay, so there's that. So here's another chart, um, and this is from Elliot Coleman's book. And if you're, um, if you're looking to be doing more than just home gardening in the winter, um, this is from his Winter Harvest Handbook, and it's a really great, um, great book for, for the winter growing. And he's in Maine, which I think he's like in a zone five. Um, so everything's a little... Uh, you know, quite a bit more drastic up there, um, as opposed to even where we are in Tennessee, which is zone seven. Um, and this is his, this is his chart for, and it's, yeah, I mean, you can kind of see it, but it's kind of hard to see. Um, but for his winter, winter planting, this is for a 40, 40 days to maturity crop um and it's for a cold house and a cool house and his cold house is just a layer of plastic in his cool house he heats a little bit to keep it so it's not freezing so that you can see a drastic difference in that we don't have we don't have any that we're heating at the moment but just so you probably won't be able to read the dates here but just to give a so this is your fall um this the line here is your harvest date, and then the line here is your planting date, which you may not be able to read, but I'll just show you here. Um, so these dates are every two weeks. So this is September 19 and October 10, two weeks apart. But your harvest here is um, November 25 and January 4th, which is like between four between five and six weeks, I guess. So your, your two weeks different in planting came out six weeks different in harvest. So you've got a drastic um, change in the fall that um, affects. So if you're trying to, if you're trying to keep stuff even longer through the winter, um, or before, you know, even before the dates, before your 10 hours, you're planting, you know, you may be planting lettuce every week or twice a week, um, but it's going to be maturing, you know, spaced out by a couple weeks. Um, and I've got another chart here that um, shows his planting schedule. So let me see here on like arugula. So he's got his outdoor planting, which he says, and that's in Maine, um, the outdoor fields, they harvest until early November. Um, 
you know, we can, we can go later than that. And then they do an early greenhouse, a late greenhouse, and then a cool house, which is his somewhat heated. Um, so the top, the top one, arugula, he's planting it. Um, this is September, I guess, September 4th, 8th, 12th, 16th. That's four days apart. Four plantings in a row that are four days apart. You know, that's like really quick. But his harvest is going to be spread out by a couple weeks. Um, lettuce. Lettuce here, he's planting. I'm not, I would assume this is head lettuce. But, I mean, it doesn't make a big difference but he's planting his lettuce two days apart um october not october august 29 september 2nd 4th and 6th um, and then he's jumping to his hoop those are for the outside plantings so that just gives you a you know visual of how critical your fall plantings can be like you know if you're gone for a week and you can't get stuff planted you come back and you, you know you plant right before you leave plant after you and it's like okay well it's a week apart you know but in the fall you know that stuff you planted before is going to be ready and then you're going to have a five six week gap um but again stuff in the winter can hold and for your for home gardening you can you know you don't need to be planting as you can be planting twice as much a little bit further apart and just kind of be holding stuff um i'm not sure if i have any i don't so those are the the um charts i have for the winter um for yeah like i said for the home gardener it's not as critical um and this is this is all just based on his for me and it, it's hard to, I don't, I should have better like charting of what I do. I just kind of know like, you know, August is getting the carrots and beets in, you know, September, we're starting to do lettuce twice a week, you know, October, we're starting to do lettuce three times a week. And I don't, it's, so it's hard for me to like, just give specific dates on everything this is this is a good charting here but it's also not probably not for most of your area um but you can you can find plenty of um information based on your zone to kind of figure out your own charts and schedules for the fall this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.